This morning, I wanna, want us to look at this account. We've been looking at it all week about uh, the spies. And there were, there were 12 spies that were sent into uh, the promised land. Uh, and, and I want to make this clear. God had already told them all the way back to Abraham and then repeated that promise over and over again, all the way up to Moses, that God was leading them to and giving them a land of promise that was a land flowing with milk and honey, incredibly blessed, uh, and it was theirs for the taking. They just needed to go in and, and, and take it. So it was not necessary to send in the spies. God gave them permission. This was God's permissive will to let them go in and, and uh, scout out the land. And so they came back with a report, and the report went like this. I'm going to tell you this part, and then we're going to read uh, the next part. Uh, they came back with a report and said, yeah, man, I'm telling you what, it's really great. Uh, the land is a wonderful land flowing with milk and honey, but, or nevertheless, nevertheless, Man, there are big people there. I mean, and they're going to whip us. They're going to beat us up. There's no use us going in there. We can't do it. Joshua and Caleb were saying, hey, it's ours for the taking. Let's go. It is a great land. God has given it to us. Let's go take it. And, and so this was, the, this was the way this went. So there was 10 that said, we can't do it. Forget it. It's great, but it's not good. And then Joshua and Caleb said, hey, God said, take it. We can take it. Let's go. And one was saying, we're going to look at what's there. And we looked, and it can't be done, so forget it. But then Joshua and Caleb said, hey, God said we could take it. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, they're strong. They're powerful. But our God is greater and stronger than they are. And then we come to what's next. And that is in, uh, in your notes. It's the second or the third part of the notes. It is Numbers 14, 1 through 10 in the passage there. Stand with me, please, uh, as we read. In that part, there's, there's the first part is Numbers 13, 1 through 3. I'm not going to read that. I'm going to just to summarize that. Numbers 13, 26 through 33. not going to read that. I just summarized that. But let's go on to the next part, which is the Numbers 14, 1 through 10. So... All right, here's the congregation's response. The congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Why? Ten gave a bad report, two gave a good report, and they wept, though. Why did they weep? They were listening to the naysayers. We can't do it. Forget it. It won't work. Let's just quit. Uh, it's not going to work. The country's going to fall apart. Forget it. We're not going. But, go on, verse 2. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought, to this land, uh, brought us to this land uh, to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? What it, would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said uh, to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly uh, of the congregation of the children uh, of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the, Josh, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spake, spoke to the whole congregation of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them." And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Thank you, and you may be seated. All right, there it is. There's the whole account that we're looking at. 
It was about time for them to move in and take the land. A trip that should have only lasted about a couple of weeks to move in and take the land. If they'd been obedient, they would have moved right in and taken the land. Instead, 10 said, we can't do it, forget it. Two said, we can, let's go. So here's the deal. I want you to think about verse of scripture that I mentioned at the very beginning of the service, Philippians 1, 21. Now, I'm going to lay this before you, and it says this, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want us to focus on the first part in the weeks to come. Pray it, think about it, meditate on it. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I've said it to you hundreds of times. If God only wanted to save us and take us to heaven, he would have taken us to heaven the day he saved us. But for some reason, which I think is very clear, he left us here so that we would, the reason, go make disciples of all nations. It is God's intention is that a disciple be a disciple who makes disciples, okay? Now, I want you to think about a word, and for sake of my old brain, I wrote it down here. It is the word proficiency. Proficiency. <clears throat> I believe, I believe that we have failed to become a people who are proficient in sharing our faith. All right? Now, this morning in our discipleship group, I use this as an illustration with uh, one of the men in our discipleship group, uh, and, and that is Michael Graham. Michael Graham is a welder. So I asked Michael, did he just one day suddenly become a welder, or did he have to learn it? And he said he had to learn it. And over time, when you learn something, you become more and more and more proficient as you practice it, correct? I mean, we all learn to do some things, and some of it, it's your career, it's your skill, it's something that you learn to do, and then the more you did it, the more proficient you became, and the more proficient you came, the more you did it, and the more you did it, the more you proficient. So we, it, it's an unending cycle that we become more and more proficient. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've been here as your pastor now for nearly 38 years, and I have not been a practicer of making disciples, but I have repented. And the Lord has got us on this track that's very clear of His directing. First of all, our youth director, also known as our uh, student pastor, is a raving maniac about discipleship. And so he has got us on that. And then we get involved with our refocus, and it seems like we fell into it there again. And then for the last two weeks, then, your pastor has been practicing. And as a result, I'm getting texts from other people who are practicing, sharing with other people about Jesus and Jesus' church. Now, I want to share a little thing that happened with me recently. I was sitting with a man. We stuck up a conversation. He was a runner. I was a runner. We shared some things about career and, and, and things like that. And, and then I asked him, where do you attend church? He said, I attend a particular uh, denominational church in a particular location. Uh, and uh, so we, that was good. And then I said, well, tell me about <clears throat> when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And he just said, I'm not a religious person. Uh, he said, um, 
uh, you know, uh, that's just not who I am. In fact, I am agnostic. And, and as I've meditated on that as the days have passed, I want you to know something. Church attendance and involvement in America is on a huge downhill slide. I'm going to lay before you a concept that hit me after that conversation with him. It could be that many people in our sitting in our pews, if I talk to you or some person that doesn't know you, talk to you and ask you that same question, you may look at them and say, I'm not religious. I attend Harps Crossing Baptist Church, and in fact, I am agnostic. Because a lot of us think it's a good thing to go to church, so I'm going to go. I like the people there. I can enjoy hanging out with them, and I've, I've got a habit of doing that. But I have never in my own life received Jesus Christ, confessed Jesus Christ, believed Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. And that conversation troubled me. And then I went on to say, well, I'm not religious either, but I have received Jesus Christ as God's son who died on the cross for my sin. And he has, I've invited him to come live in me so that I can have this eternal relationship with God that will never end. And it's going on right now. And that was pretty much the end of the conversation. And I found myself several times in the past week. Yesterday, I was up at Piedmont Atlanta. I spoke to Raphael. He was sitting at one of the desks. We had a conversation about his relationship with Christ. But he said that years ago, his parents stopped going to church. And we had a conversation about the responsibility of being a part of a church because we are responsible to carry the gospel message to the whole world. So all of us sitting in here today who have claimed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it is our task... <clears throat> See how this makes you feel. It is our task to make disciples who make disciples. Now, you may be sitting there thinking something like this. That's what we hired you for. <laughs> no, I am here to do the same thing myself, but to challenge you to be involved in it too. Now, here's what our problem is today. And, and these, I'm going to use these four questions that I have here and go through them quickly. First of all, who are you listening to? The world out there is telling us that nobody wants to hear the gospel. Nobody wants to be saved. Nobody wants you to bother them with the whole thing. And, and so, so don't even bother. Well, I'm not sure where you get that, and I don't care where you get it because it doesn't really matter where you get it because God told us through his own son, go make, you know, thank you, go make disciples. Go make disciples. And then baptize them and then teach them. It's not a, well, see, if we're not doing that, we're outside of God's will. Now, back to the word proficiency. I could not tell you that I am an expert on making disciples that make disciples. <clears throat> but I am becoming more proficient every day. And I plan to spend the rest of my days becoming more proficient and at times feeling extremely awkward. I went into a place this week that I normally go into at least once a week. And, and, and I spoke to the person at the counter there. And, and I noticed their car was out front. And I figured, that, that's your car out there? Yes. I said, see, you live in Coweta County? Yes, I live in Sonoya. I said, good. Do you attend a church in Sonoya? No, I don't. Okay, so we finished up our business, and I left, and I'm going, that was just an awkward moment. 
But the good thing about it is I will be going back in there regularly for the next five years at least and, and doing business with this person, and I will try to take the conversation further. But I'm learning that sometimes I don't do it the way I should do it, but I'm thankful that as more I practice it, I will become more proficient. What about you? Will you join me? You know what I've discovered? It is extremely awkward. It can extremely be extremely uncomfortable. But here's something I've learned of late. You cannot do what you will not do. Write it down. Go home, meditate on it for a while. You cannot do what you will not do, and you will not do what you believe you can't do. But if you go ahead and do what you think you cannot do, you will discover you can do it. And the more you do it, the more proficient you will become. We do it every day. We've been doing it all our lives. We do things that we've never done before, and suddenly we discover we can do it. And the more we do it, the more proficient we become. And I believe as Christians, as people who've been told by Jesus, go make disciples, because if you don't, those people are doomed. And if we really believe that, then we need to take this as an urgent thing for us to do, as awkward and as uncomfortable as it may be. So who are you listening to? Are we going to heed the voice of the world and heed the voice of the naysayers, or are we going to heed the voice of Jesus who tells us to go and do it? Make disciples. Go tell. For, for, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. Again, I don't know of another reason why any of us are still here. Whether you are a school teacher, whether you're a business person, whatever it is, God has us here as his children to introduce other people to Christ that will introduce other people to Christ who will introduce other people to Christ. And we must take seriously discipleship. Who are you listening to? You see, the first step was doubt. The first mistake they made was the people doubted. They were doubting that God had given them the land, that God, that God was going to provide them the land, that he was going to give them the victory over the land. They had just, they doubted it. <clears throat> we doubt that people will really come to Christ. How will we ever know unless we share? Can, can you get a vision yourself? Let's say this week, when you share with someone this week, and they look at you and they continue the discussion with you, and suddenly, you ask them the question, would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? And they said, yes, I would. And then you lead them in a prayer of confession of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and next Sunday they come in here and they walk down the aisle, and you're going to be sitting there going, well, that's nice. Folks, you're going to be exploding inside. You're going to realize, God, you used me to lead that guy on my bus to Christ. You used me, Lord. What a blessing. And then on the day that they're baptized, you will be hooping and hollering in the aisle. And I pray you won't be by yourself. Because I'm convinced when we begin to share the gospel and we take seriously, and we're not going to take no for an answer. We're not going to let the enemy say, you can't do it, you better not do it, you're going to look like a fool. Listen, folks, do you realize that it is through the Foolishness of preaching that people come to Christ? Guess what I am? Mm -hmm. I am fool number one at Harps Crossing Baptist Church. 
because I do it every week when I stand before you, I preach this message. It is the power of God unto salvation. Listen carefully. Folks, it is not Sunday school that is the power of God unto salvation. It is not student ministry that is the power of God unto salvation. It is not children's ministry. It is not music ministry. It is not all the other ministries that we've come up through the, through the world through, through time and said, this is going to change the world. No, sir. It is none of those. It is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. There is no greater or more significant power than for us to tell people, here is the gospel message, and allow God to use it for his glory and for his namesake. So who are you listening to? I'm telling you what he said. I'm telling you what Jesus said. I'm telling you what his apostles said. I'm telling you that we must be doing this ourselves. Let me ask this question now where you're sitting there. Don't answer me out loud. Will you do it? Will you seek to become proficient? You say, I don't care what anybody else thinks because this is the most powerful word or thing that I can share with anybody. So, who are you listening to? Next question, who are you listening for? This has to do with entertaining other voices. Folks, we are bombarded by other voices coming at us like crazy. I mean, I mean, there's people out there right now that believe in the next 10 years we're going to cease to exist because we're destroying the planet. Folks, I think we've got a lot to do to clean up the planet and stop doing the crazy things we're doing, but I think God's greater and stronger than that. And I think that when it's time for this earth as we know it to disappear, it'll be under his control and authority, not ours. Okay? But you see, we're listening to other voices that are coming at us. We need to tune our ears to hear the voice of God. We, I, I, heard, a, I heard, a, heard a preacher this week, and, and it was really cool. He said, he said this, you know, it, the more you read God's word, the more he speaks to you. All right? Now, he, he quite often speaks directly from his word. But there's something this guy said, and I wrote it down. It, he, says, he says, occasionally we have UIP moments. Unidentified inner promptings. Unidentified inner promptings. In other words, there's times in your life when you're someplace and there's something going on, and suddenly you, you sense something inside that's guiding you to say something or to do something. And, and I'll tell you this, if you are walking with the Lord and you're reading His Word and seeking His will, I'll tell you this, unless it's an absolutely immoral, unbiblical, or unethical thing, then you ought to go ahead and just do it. Because it could be one of those unidentified inner promptings in which the Spirit of God is speaking to you and guiding you to do something or to say something. And I know that many times for me, I have just said, no, that'd be kind of stupid right now. To be in an elevator, hey, you're on the 15th floor and you're going to floor one. You got a few minutes. Especially if it's one of those that makes a stop at every floor. Why not just take a moment to say, when the Lord prompts, talk to these people a moment about their relationship with Christ. Hey. Those kinds of promptings come to me all the time, and I've spent too many times saying, nah, that'd be, nah, nah, nah. I want to start saying, yes, 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 yes. So who 
are we listening to? And what are we listening for? You see, the people, when the, when the spies came back, they were listening more to the naysayers than to Joshua and Caleb. They didn't want to hear what Joshua and Caleb had to say. Because Joshua and Caleb had a word that gave indication that we were going to have to trust God for something. And, and anytime you have to trust God for something, it's tough. And when you share the gospel with somebody, you cannot make somebody become a Christian. When you share the gospel with somebody, you cannot make someone become a Christian. When you invite someone to church, you cannot make them come. When you seek to talk to people about important things, you cannot make them listen to you. But you can at least share and say, God, I'm leaving it to you. Because you see, um, we need to be listening for truth and pray that other people will be listening for truth too. You see, Joshua and Caleb get this message that says, but God. You see, so often when we're in our world and we say, well, this won't work because, we need to say, I'm going to do this anyway because of God. But God, there's all, all these scripture, but God. But God, the whole idea is there was the missing ingredient. And for, for the, the, the ten spies, God was not present in their appraisal of things. In our news media today, God is not present in their appraisal of things. So when we're getting bombarded with messages from the media, they're leaving God totally out. And we're trying to make decisions and choices based on, 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 on those that are giving us things that leave God out. You see, America's been in trouble for a long time because we've been leaving God out more and more and more. Hello, church! We cannot leave God out. We cannot leave God out. 10% of the churches in America today, only 10% of Christian, evangelical, Protestant churches, only 10% are actually growing by conversion. Did you hear that? Only 10% are actually growing by conversion. Say, well, how are, the, how are the, the others growing if they're growing? They're growing by saying, let's have a bigger bang than the church down the road. And what we'll do is have a bigger bang than the church down the road, and the folks down the church down the road can come up here to where we're having the bigger bang. And then in a few years, the next church up the road will have a bigger bang than you had, than they had down the road, and then everybody will move up to that church. It's time we realize that our task is not to move members around from church to church. Our task is to reach lost people who may not at all look like us, walk like us, talk like us, and sound like us. Are we going to do it, or are we just going to say, well, let's just die then? Who we, what are we listening for? Will you follow? Who will you follow? I must stop right there. Who will you follow? Um, who will you follow? The naysayers? Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is filled today with naysayers. Don't do that. Don't share the gospel. Don't talk to people about the gospel. Don't go to visit your neighbors. Don't go door to door. Don't, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Well, let me ask you a question. What are you doing that works? We, I have a lot of people tell me things that won't work. Sometimes people will tell other people, I, I don't like your method of evangelism. 
They say, well, what's yours? I don't have one. Well, then mine's better than yours. You see, if I've got one and you don't, mine's better than yours. Folks, I am asking you today to say, let's begin to see people coming to know Christ or returning to Him. You see, a lot of the unchurched today got hurt at church. I could say a whole lot about that, but I'm not. A lot of folks say, I don't go to church anymore, I got hurt down there. I got hurt over there. I got hurt at this church. Hey, let's do everything we can to fix that. Let's invite them here, and when they come, may we give them a wonderful experience. <laughs> this has happened in churches before. I hope it hasn't ever happened here. But here's the illustration. Can you follow me? Okay. I'm a guest coming to this church, and uh, I come in, and I find me a seat right here. And guy comes in in a few minutes and says, that's my seat. I've been sitting in that seat for years. I wouldn't do that. In fact, in some churches, you can put your name on that pew because you donated to give to it. And that visitor, guess what? They're going to get up, they're going to walk out the door and say, I'll never go back there again. If you want to help, if you, somebody walks in the door, you invite them to come and sit with you, and then when it's all said and done, say, hey, what you got planned for lunch? Go with me. Hello? Hey, let's begin to do whatever it will take in order to reach people and draw them to Jesus Christ and show them the love and compassion that a church of Jesus Christ is supposed to have. Please pray with me. Philippians 1, 21, just the first half. For to me to live is Christ. For to me to live is Christ. Today, I want to give you an invitation. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I'm going to invite you in a moment to walk down this aisle and come to either myself or Pastor Paul and say, today, I need to come. And I need to make Jesus Christ my Savior and my Lord. He died for me, and I desperately desperately need him. Folks, everybody look at me. I am a desperate man. And I know one thing for sure. I will go to my grave as a desperate man. I will never get over being desperate. I make no apology. We sang that song a moment ago from that 10,000 uh, blessings, whatever it is. And that last verse talks about the day. And I thought, okay, I'm getting closer to that day. But I know there'll come a day when I'll probably move from being 5'5 five, five to 5'4 five, to 5'3 to 5'2 to 5'1. <laughs> and I'll be all scrunched over like this. And I'll probably be more desperate in that day than ever before. 
I am a desperate man. Every man in here, every woman in here, I need Jesus, I need him, I need his word, I need his church, I need brothers and sisters, I need Rick, I need, uh, I need, I need uh, Michael, I need John, I need William, I need these men in my life to hold me accountable and keep an eye on me. I am a dangerous man and God has given me a savior, he's given me his church, we need each other. Don't think that a church is a place to come and park your rear end for a couple of hours on Sunday and then walk out the door. We need each other. We need each other. I'm glad my granddaughter is not here because she would have thought I was fussing at you. <clears throat> we need each other, folks. We need each other. I'll invite you today to come and trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Come to Pastor Paul or myself. I'll invite you today to say, I need to make this my church home. I need a church home like this that will hold me accountable and will disciple, disciple me and take care of me. I desperately, desperately need that. Stand with me, please. Here are clear directions, clear directions. For the next two minutes, instruments will play. This altar is a place to kneel and pray, and if you do come to the altar, stay. Just stay here. If you come to Paul or myself for a decision of trusting Jesus Christ or church membership, we'll talk to you right down here and, and deal with that. We may have counselors available also. But in a moment, I'm going to ask the whole body to make your way to the altar so that we can be one huddled together, praying in unity, praying for revival, praying for spiritual awakening. I'm going to tell you something. You are you are key to spiritual awakening. You are key. You are key to spiritual awakening. And I'm going to ask you to just truly, truly say, God, I want Jesus Christ to be who he is in me. So first two minutes, musical play. You can come and pray at the altar. Come to one of us, either Paul or myself, and then we'll sing, and then we'll gather together to pray.